This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day to day, how they got there and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge. And we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you. Hi guys, Luke and Sarge here and welcome back to another episode of the Young Professionals Podcast. Luke, who do we have on the show today? Sarge, very uh, important and impressive guest today. We are speaking with Ted Richards, who is the head of distribution at Six Park, a robo investment management startup based in Melbourne. Now, many listeners will know Ted as the or a former AFL premiership player, playing a total of 16 seasons, first for Essendon in Melbourne before making the sea change to the Sydney Swans in 2005. During his time in the game, Ted completed a Bachelor of Commerce and a Bachelor, oh, sorry, a Masters of Applied Finance at the University of New South Wales, majoring in Business Administration and Management for the undergrad. Uh, he completed both of these courses over a period of 15 years, which is a testament just to his hard work, uh, I think, while he was in a pretty demanding job. Ted dipped his toes in the finance game with various internships at Citigroup and Early Funds Management before taking the plunge into the startup world after hanging up the boots with footy. Now also juggling his own podcast, a fast-growing customer base, and a young family, Ted's career so far is a testament to putting in the hard yards, taking calculated risks, and just giving things a crack. Ted, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's good, good to it's good to have you on, um, and it's good to get someone with a very different perspective than the people that we've had on um, already, and lots that we want to talk about. But let's start off with what you're doing at Six Park, and, and probably what Six Park is, and, and what it does for those that aren't aware. Yeah, so Six Park is uh, uh, provides investment management, but instead of being done face to face, it uses technology and does it so online. And uh, instead of, um, uh, I guess, a lot of the the human high touch involvement, it means that our costs are lower and that we can pass those savings onto onto clients. So um, it's it's qu- it's quite needed in the market right now because. Um, We've been through the Royal Commission, which I'm sure many of your, your listeners are recently through, which um, was great and it was necessary because we needed a clean out in the industry. But what it's meant is that a lot of professionals are now focusing in on just their high net worth clients. So the reality is 80% of Australians can't afford um, and don't have access to professional financial help. And that's what Six Park is. It is an accessible, affordable solution if you're needing investment help to get a level of help um, for what the industry coins people in the advice gap. And um, uh, so that's what Six Park does. We we provide um, the investment advice and the ongoing management and um, uh, human advice, financial advisors. They serve a purpose. Um, um, they're, they're fantastic for what they do, but the reality is, um, they can be quite ex- expensive for a lot of people. So that's what, what six park does. We're now four and a half years old. Um, I joined the business, um, after football and, um, uh, yeah, I guess before I kind of go down that path, I could, I could, um, I could go on, but is there any area about six park that you'd like to know a bit more information? I'm pretty keen to understand who, who your clients are. So are you servicing individuals? Yeah, we, we do service individuals. So our minimum investment's $5,000, but we've got clients with many millions of dollars with us. And it's people that have to come into a level, uh, an amount of money and they're aware that they can be, you know, many, many of us can be our own worst enemy when it comes to trading and, and investing. So they want a level of help and we can provide that from just $9.90 a month um, at that, that lower end. And so there is the technology that provides um, a lot of the automation to keep costs low for both for us and and clients, but there's a real human overlay with an investment committee um, with decades of experience that oversee these investments for clients, which was a huge draw card for me wanting to join the business because um, I could see the need for a solution like this both with my friends and family and, and teammates. But they yeah, throw on top this human overlay with people like um, 
the investment committees headed up by Brian Watson that um, uh, is a former chairman of JP Morgan and, and sat on the board of guardians for the future fund. Um, Lindsay Tanner, who your listeners may be aware, was the Minister of Finance for the Australian Government. And Mark Nicholson, that um, headed up an investment division for the World Bank. They they oversee clients' asset allocations and, and, and having access to a level of help like that used to be something only for the wealthy. Um, so it, it's, it's quite rewarding to be doing something which can really help someone's quality of life, uh, be it in retirement or trying to grow a nest egg to get into the property market. Um, so it, it is, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy my role at Six Park and, and um, the problem we're solving out there for people. Ted, just for those listeners who are maybe a little bit younger or maybe looking at finance for the first kind of time and obviously not, not studying it but wanting to invest some money, um, can you just go into a little bit of detail, not, not to go down too many rabbit holes, but what does Six Park actually invest in? Are you, are you picking certain you know big blue chip stocks or are you more investing in kind of the index fund side of things for, for people? Yeah, it's a good question, Luke. So, um, yeah, very simple, simplistically, there's 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 active st- style of investing, which is more of stock picking, tr- traditional. You know, I'll, I'll pick BHP over Rio and Woolworths over West Farmers, etc. And then there's uh, what the industry calls more passive style, which is in, investing more in index funds and in exchange traded funds. Uh, some may be familiar with the acronym ETFs, and. Uh, Six Parks investment philosophy is more in the latter. It's it's more in the, the passive side um, of investing through ETFs. But instead of trying to get returns on stock picking, uh, our investment philosophy is two things, getting the appropriate level of risk and asset allocation correct for an individual and keeping their fees low. And so that with the first one, getting their asset allocation correct for their risk profile. We've all got to pass a sleep test. Luke, Sarge, you guys look similar. You're a similar age, but you're individuals and you may have different investment horizons or a different, different investment experience. There's no point in assuming that you guys are both investing the same if one of you can't sleep at night. And as soon as a level of volatility or a correction or even a, you know, a crash hits, you sell out. That's, that's just not appropriate. And um, that's what we've seen play out this year uh, with that crash that occurred um, Feb, March, April. Many people weren't appropriately invested and sold out and have missed this once in a decade, six-month period of returns where um, most stock markets have bounce back in the vicinity of 60%. So well, um, I think I think on that afterpay has done maybe 11 times. Yeah, yeah. Since, so, and, since and, 23 March. And and Sarge, um, I, I won't go down the, um, the the rabbit hole of afterpay because <laughs> so many people can find that alluring. Um, um, I, I, I'm much more of the uh, investment philosophy of diversifying. But um, I, if I could maybe provide one... Um, piece of advice. Actually, I can't provide. It's not not advice. I'm just speaking generally. <laughs> general, um, general advice on the yeah, yeah, show. Yeah. Um, to your listeners that I, I appreciate are about to enter into their career um, of 40 years or whatever, is to engage with their superannuation, to find it out. If you've got multiple super funds, to combine them because what you have right now is the power of compounding returns. You've got this fantastic ability to harness them. Every now and then I'll speak with people in their 50s, early 60s that want to talk about how they're investing and and the power of compound returns. But they don't have this opportunity that's in front of you. So a decision that is made right now for someone in their early, mid or late 20s can have huge upside for the quality of life they'll have in retirement. So um, I know that's not, this isn't an investing podcast or anything like that, but it's it's important to hear. It is important. And um, um, 
yeah, I, I don't want this to turn into a compare the pair ad or anything like that. But um, I, I do think uh, um, it's a fantastic life skill to be able to have a bit of an awareness as to kind of what's going on with your super. Um, but you'll be very grateful. And, and just to make it even even more simpler for listeners, do you want to give us 30 seconds on what compounding returns is, just even from the maths perspective? Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think Einstein's coined with saying it's the eighth wonder of the world or something like that, which I, <laughs> yeah, even, though I, I, even though I don't think he, he actually said it. <laughs> um, uh, it's this, who, this, there's someone else who, uh, I forget who said this, is the power, um, one of the great things about compound returns is it's not just your money makes money, but the money, the money's made, makes money. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's this snowball which can happen. And to be honest, don't expect your super or, you know, whatever it is, the power of compound returns to be magic after two or three or four years. I'm talking decades. And the best story example to describe the power of compound returns is that um, is Warren Buffett, um, who actually, I, th- I believe the biography, his biography is called Snowball. Um, where 90%, I believe, of Warren Buffett's um, wealth has been accumulated after the age of 65. And that's not because Warren became such a good investor in his 60s and 70s. It's because Warren started investing when he was 11 years old and this snowball, this just got flying in terms of compound returns 50 years later. And it's not so much Warren Buffett's the best investor of all time because he's the best stock picker of all time. He's not. There's others out there that are better than him. But Warren Scott on his side, if he just started so early. He is, yeah. And he didn't interrupt the power of compound returns. And just to put it even more kind of crudely, because this is how I'd really needed someone to explain it to me, is like compound interest is basically if you put in $10 this month or this year and then you get 10% return, then you'll have $11 next time and then it's going to be 10% return on the $11 and then it can, keeps growing like that, um, but you've only put in the $10. So that's, that's not even um, assuming that you put in more money into whatever pile that you're putting it into over a period of time. So that can, if you kind of extrapolate that out into what, Sarge likes to say is the best tool in the world, Excel. Um, yeah. that, that'll get pretty, pretty big, pretty over, over a long period of time. Um, mate, let's, I just wanted to touch on, on one thing. Let's just say we're talking to a, a younger person that has, you know, five grand in, in the bank account um, and they, you know, not necessarily looking to buy a property yet. What is the benefit of investing in, you, you mentioned ETFs and index funds as opposed to say, I'm going to go and listen to my my dad or my brother or my, you know, fill in the blank. And they say, these five stocks are great. Um, you, you know, you might talk to fees or, or whatever it might be, but what's the benefit of investing even in a, directly in, into, an, in, into an index fund rather than picking say five or 10 stocks? Okay. Um, I, I could speak about this for, for a while, but I'll, I'll keep my answer short. So if we look back 10 years ago um, to what the, say the biggest five companies in the world were in the US. Um, it was ExxonMobil, it was um, Wells Fargo, it was it was mostly banks and miners, US miners. Fast forward 10 years, what are the biggest five companies in the world? Um, Amazon, Apple, um, Google or Alphabet. Alphabet and what yeah. what I what I mean here is the world changed a lot in 10 years. If your investing philosophy is to just invest in blue chips, buy and hold, you know, it's great. Um, one, you may not get a level of diversification because pretty much Australia is just um, banks and miners. Um, but a lot, a lot can change. So that's, that's, that's one thing is I, I don't want people to, to assume like there is a company you can kind of just invest in it's set and forget and it's happy days because I think the world changes. But the other is maybe if just to step back and go, well, what is my edge? If what is the best use of my time? If you believe the best use of your time is to stay on top of your portfolio and give it the time that it needs and that you 
have an edge in the market, well, maybe investing is for you. But I, I, I say to people and friends and family, and I, this is what this podcast is all about, is I'd say the best use of your time is to focus in on your earning capacity and growing your career and development and investing um, is, is not a distraction that takes away from that ability to develop yourself and stay inside your circle of competence and grow that rather than having multiple side hustles and all these things, which sound great, but it can mean that, um, I don't know, it can, can limit your ability to develop in the career path that you want to take. And just to jump in there, I think really good analogy is like, say you want to build a house, right? You're, and you're, you're, your job is not being a builder. You're not going to go and just start building your own house. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is amazing how investing through technology and everything like that, it's, it's accessible, but just because you can do something doesn't mean that um, you necessarily should. Yeah. And uh, the, the house analogy yeah, is, 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 is perfect. Mate, I think there's a few um, points there that we might put some links to relevant articles and whatnot in the show notes so people can read up a bit more about um, passive investing and, and ETFs because you're right. If you want some more uh, finance-related tips, you can probably go to, to Ted's podcast more so than ours. That's not really in our wheelhouse. But, um, mate, let, let's bounce back to your time and your career, I think, um, more so the, on the education side of things. We can obviously touch on footy, but what were you thinking that you'd be doing, um, say, year 10, year 11? I imagine footy was well and truly on the horizon but were you thinking about what you wanted to do from an education um, standpoint as well and, and what was that thinking like um, back at say you know year 10 or year 11 yeah, yeah. if we get go back to then um, yeah very much still focused in on my studies as well as um, an enjoyment of my footy and to be honest in year nine I, I, I did work experience uh, at a couple of different architecture firms I I, I quite liked architecture and um and was considering going down the path of being an architect and when i finished i um i got drafted right in the middle of year 12 exams back in 2000 and um when the, the marks came in and i um i knew that i was uh, going to be playing uh football professionally in 2001 i did have a look at to see what if i could do architecture part-time and it you can't it is a full-time it is a full-time um, de- degree. So I, I had a look at other opportunities and one of which was um, that did have some part-time options was a Bachelor of Commerce, which I never did accounting or economics or anything like this at school. Um, so but I had a level of interest in this area and I thought, you know what, it's a great broad uh, degree which will give me a bit of direction for where to I want to go from there. So um, um, started the, the, the Bachelor of Commerce and started doing a bit of broad reading. And one of the books that my dad actually gave me was um, Peter Lynch's book, One Up on Wall Street, which um, was written back in the, in the late 80s and when there was the concept of passive investing and ETFs were certainly not as well known nor appreciated as, as well, as well they are right now. And, um, that elicited a bit of excitement as to kind of this investing side of finance. And, um, it's probably, that probably was the catalyst for me to kind of start to shift my attention from not my attention, but my interest from going down a, a path of architecture and design more in towards numbers and investing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I could, I could speak further about next steps, but is there any way you want me to go from there? Maybe jump back a step, pretty keen to understand, get your view on what it was like being at school, obviously being, um, focused on your footy and, and doing pretty well at that, but also knowing you had to do your studies and finish school too. Like, was that ever a problem for you? And how did you balance the two? Yeah, it's look, looking back, it was probably the, the beginning of learning and developing a life school about um, 
time management, um, making sacrifices and identifying priorities because um, you can't you can't have it all. You can't have a social life. You can't have um, commit the time and dedicate the time for football, study, and all these other commitments and think um, I'm gonna I'll be able to achieve what I want in in, in all the above. So, mate, started I probably started making the sacrifices um, in terms of. Um, areas of life back in year nine, I think. So I think when I was 14 or 15, that's where um, I, had, I, I can realise I started to play, have my school football team and my district football team and I lived over an hour away from school. So travel times would, would, would dig in and um, it was hard and I might, I might touch on this later, but the you can draw a lot of satisfaction from actually um, achieving and the process of, of trying to achieve um, hard things. So um, I look back on it and go, yeah, um, gee, there was a lot going on there, but um, very rewarding um, for, for, for what I got out of it. Man, for such a young person having to make, and you know, you're 14 or 15, you're nine or you're 10, you're having to make some, quite serious sacrifices and with that comes choice. Did you have any guidance as to someone telling you, Hey, this is probably the, the, you know, the, the North star that you should be following or was it just kind of, you, you, you took it how it came? No, nah, there was certainly no North star. And if anything, the people that follow the North star and put all their eggs in one basket, that that's a concern because, uh, if you're going to put all your eggs in the basket of I'm going to get drafted, I'm going to play for 300 games, I'm going to be the next Adam Goods. Well, the reality is uh, there's 1% of players that get drafted each year that, that are that um, the average career length is four or five years. Average career is about 40 or 50 games. So you're pretty delusional if you kind of look at what the numbers suggest and think I'm going to be set, set up for life. So um, I never felt entirely comfortable that I was a super football player and that I was, I was going to be the next champion or anything like that. I, you know, as much as I wanted to be, I always knew that I, I needed something, um, um, to, to fall back on. Uh, and I can remember, um, I can remember early days kind of struggling a bit to when I early days at Essendon playing full time, um, studying part time. I was at Melbourne uni and I can remember going, all I want to do is just get a bachelor of commerce. And I can remember just thinking if I could just get that, because, um, I won't pretend I was a perfect student. Like I failed subjects from time to time. Uh, might've had the odd meeting with the unsatisfactory progress committee, <laughs> but, but all important, um, all important uh, life skills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but, um, I guess, Oh, um, when I go back to there and I think about that, I, once I achieved the bachelor of commerce, I realized, well, that's, that's just a level of learning for a period of time. That's not going to set me up for life. You know, it, learning isn't some milestone you hit and, um, and you're sorted. So um, I can speak to about the importance of personal development later, but um, when I finished the, the, the Bachelor of Commerce, that's when I realized, I think I, you know, let's, let's keep building on this. And, um, I, I want to have a good career I, I, um, after football. Um, there's a, there's a quote I love from Isaiah Thomas that if all I'm ever known as being is a, um, a successful basketballer, um, then I failed at the rest of my life. I, I, I didn't want to be a retired footballer that finished up at 32 or 33 or whatever and put my feet up for 50 years. It's, mm. That's a bloody boring life. But anyway, that's a really important point because a lot of people that have come on so far have, yes, they've been quite young in their career, but they've, they've said that they either had that, they either have that drive to keep learning about things that are kind of peripheral to what their 
um, core discipline is. So that might be marketing or, or architecture or whatever it might be, but they've also spoken about the people that they look up to. Um, there might be 10 years or whatever above them have the, the main thing that they've done is like, Oh, I need to be good at 10 different things that are, that are outside my, my main scope. And it's always that continual learning, not just, you know, as you say, get that bachelor and then everything will be fine because the world is a changing place. Right. So you need to keep, keep developing, um, on that. Mate, before you kind of move forward to your internships, I just wanted to touch on one thing because we've spoken to another, um, young lady who was also kind of an elite athlete. And she said that to, to the point of making those sacrifices where you don't kind of get to hang out with your mates and, and your family as much as you would have, you, you would have liked. It's super important to um, take the time to appreciate the people that you are spending a lot of your time with. And I wanted to find or understand your thought process on um, how much did you value the kind of the, the similar mindsets, the people in your, in your footy teams when you, when, when you were coming up and how much did you kind of feed off that camaraderie um, kind of thing. And, and to that, I, I want, I'm trying to get out, if people aren't necessarily loving say their course or their school or whatever, there are other aspects of life that you can get involved in that you can go and find people that are like-minded to you. Um, and that might be through sport or whatever it might be, but how much did you rely on those relationships when you're coming up? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a bit to unpack there. I, I, I did, I, um, so I had five years at, at Essendon. Um, I grew up in Melbourne, so it was very much, um, enjoying, you know, in my comfort zone playing there. And and when I made the call, I needed to move from there because uh, my career wasn't planning out the way I wanted to. I decided I wanted to move to Sydney and play for the Swans. Um, I was 22. So I, I moved up there and outside of my comfort zone, didn't know anyone. Um, I know I'm 22, so I'm not, I'm not, not some 10 year old kid, but, um, <laughs> Still, it's still hard, mate. Yeah, and, you know, high-pressure industry, not always achieving what you want to achieve. There are down times. And how you, how you handle these emotional ups and downs when, say, you're getting dropped or you get injured or you fail a, a subject or, you know, or you get a poor market and is is life skills um that you need for later in life when things don't pan out and um it's it's all well and good when i talk about the positives of of what you can achieve with success but um equally there's fantastic life skills that you can learn along the way when in challenging hard times where you you learn resilience and um uh I think, you know, it's all, it's nice to think that the feedback we're going to receive in life about our career and our, about our professional life will always be positive. But the reality is if, um, especially if you're in a very competitive career, from time to time, you're going to receive feedback that isn't great. And it's going to be, it's going to be challenging. Uh, it'll test you. Um, you need some mechanisms to be able to, take that on um, and mentally handle that okay, get the support where you're required, but keep yourself on track. Um, I'm not a psychologist. I can't speak to... Um, Sorry, I I we don't give advice on this show anyway. We, yeah. we covered off on that one before. Yeah, but <laughs> I, 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 where I was going with this is I, I played football over uh, 16 years and... We won a grand final once. Yeah, I lost. You had a one in sixteen chance. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. We lost. I lost. I lost two, but I probably won maybe sixty percent of the games I played or something like that. So, from losing forty percent of the time over sixteen years, you know, there's a lot of down times where. You're taking on criticism publicly. You're taking on feedback internally, and um, you need to be able to kind of take it on and use it in the right way, but not let it get you down. I hope. What were the people around? What were the people around you that um, did you lean on? You know, your fa- family and friends in a particular way during those times, because obviously that that's quite 
challenging, as you say, from for a young person. Um, were there kind of open chats that you were having in, in particular ways that helped you through that? Well, that's that's part of the what makes it hard being interstate and away from your your um, your comfort zone and your friends and family that you've known for ages is that you've got to. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be part of a football team, uh, so there were people that I could I, I could speak to. But what's what what's one thing that is great about a football team is the ability to have role models that you can look up to and um, aspire to be. When I was at at Essendon as a eighteen year old, there were the likes of. Um, James Hurd, Scott Lucas, um, Chris Heffernan, that on their day off, they'd go off and study. And they were champions of the game. And I, I could see, well, if they're, gonna, if they're doing things like that, considering what they've achieved for, with football, surely I can do that. Um, and, you know, be it at the Swans and being more um, uh, football-related, You'd see people like Adam Goods, who I think you know, is a champion of the game, receive open and honest, frank f- feedback about a negative performance that he just turned out on the weekend, be delivered open to him by Paul Ruse. And Goodsy, not to dismiss it and not to get down on himself, but to be able to kind of harness it and go, I'm going to use that and get better. Uh, you go, gee, like he's a Brownlow medalist. He doesn't need to do that. He, he can point to something to say, that's not me. But um, yeah, I, I, I think um, role, having a role model that you look to is, uh, is an inc- uh, fantastic if you can. Just, just one, one last question while we're in this space. When you went up to Sydney as a pretty green 22-year-old, was there someone that you went up to at the club and said, hey, look, I don't really know heaps of people in Sydney or know my, my, my way around. Do you want to, can you be my role model and take me under your wing? Uh, I tried to play it a bit more cooler than that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anything, I think um, Craig Bolton um, was probably someone that, that took me under his wing. Um, and Craig, Craig's a, a fantastic person, a, fant- a great character. And he's, um, and Craig's gone on to achieve um, incredible things uh, over at Apple and Silicon Valley, where he's working in their um, their fitness and health areas for for wearable technology. Um, he's someone that was a role model for me. What what makes the Swans probably different to most other um, AFL teams is that not many people get drafted out of Sydney. People come in from all you know Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne, etc., and there isn't the friends and family outside um so we we all kind of lean on each other but um i know this isn't a football podcast so uh, <laughs> i i i think um uh yeah, i've probably spoken a bit, uh, enough about um what, what happens in there that's right uh, mate before we uh, i know you've got some kind of advice that you'd, you'd like to give to, to younger students we can touch on that in, in a little bit but what i just wanted to explore how you found the internships that you did when you're at footy and we touched on it at the start that that was at city group and then early funds management as yeah. well. Do you want to just walk us through that? And was that your first kind of exposure to um, funds management or equity analysis? And, and do you want to just touch on how, you, you know, you've done your masters of, of applied finance, but that's still super, broad, super broad. And then how you kind of um, really narrowed down on focusing on the equity side of things. Yeah, it's it's funny how you learn a lot at uni, but it doesn't actually give you great clarity and focus as to kind of where to next. So I did the Bachelor of Commerce, which as your listeners probably aware, touches on accounting, management, economics, finance. Uh, and I didn't know which way I wanted to go to from there. Um, I did a little bit of um, part-time work uh, it, at the end of a, a football season in, in an advertising business, Cleminger, and I found it quite interesting, but I thought, um, oh, let's, let's give something else a go. And I, I started to do some work experience at Citigroup and I loved it. It was an institutional sales um, uh, for their broking side, uh, working under their, um, their research sales team. And that gave me great, clarity that this is an area. I like equities. Uh, I like um, 
what's going on in the stock market. So it gave me conviction to jump in and do a master's of applied finance. And then towards the end of that, I could see that, well, the sales side, that broking side is good, but if I really want to cut my teeth and learn a bit more, get over to the buy side and work underneath a fund manager. Mm-hmm. And so I approached a, a fund manager and, and started doing work experience at early funds management. Um, and I, I worked there for four years and it was, it was, it was great. I loved it. It gave me clarity as to kind of studying stocks, analyzing them, uh, it's something that I really enjoy. And what is it about equities that you you like so much? Uh, I guess every day you almost need to start with a blank sheet of paper. There is no, it's not Groundhog Day where um, uh, every day is the same. Like businesses change, management change, valuations change, and you've always got to be on top of that. And like football, it's also incredibly competitive. So. Um, uh, and I'm a competitive person, so I think it, it ticks a couple of those boxes that that I need to draw satisfaction from a job. But um, uh, I guess what happened though is uh, when I finished retired from football, it just so turned out that there wasn't an op- an option um, to join early. There wasn't a need f- for them to to build out their team with another person. So. Um, when I finished playing football, I had to kind of look at, well, where to from here. And I had for at least four, possibly five years identified, this is what I want to do. I I was pointing to something and saying, I am working towards this. And after um, a few months of meeting and, and talking with people in the industry, um, a mutual friend, uh, sorry, a, a friend um, organized a, a catch up with me with this person who just started a business in an area that I'd never heard of before called robo-advice. And we sat down, we had a chat, and he was telling me what he was building. And it just, it excited me so much. And I went back um, and, and, and you know, thought a lot more about it. Um, and Pat, who's one of the co-founders of Six Park, invited me to join the business. And I, I had to make a bit of a call because I had an area that I wanted to go in life. I'd been working, I'd been studying for pretty, pretty much 15 years. So, and for the last four of those years, going, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to be in 10 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And here's this opportunity that's kind of come from nowhere. Um, Six Park was probably then, you know, like a startup and that comes with career risk in that it's it's by no means a bank where you're like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, going to work here for 10 or 20 years or whatever. But um, the more I thought about it, I was like, this this is something that I'm, I'm going to do this. And um, um it came with risk and it, to be honest, it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. I love it. I'm drawing so much satisfaction from, from this role. And um, we, we, the lesson that I want to pass over is it's all well and good to ha- have a, an idea for what you think is the perfect job that um, you might have until you retire or whatever. But the reality is, um, the world changes a lot. Um, sometimes opportunities will come near you. And I think be open to how you can possibly pivot your career at times in life where you, you're not going off path in a bad way. It's an ability to complement your skill set, learn further life skills, develop yourself, and who knows where it may take you. So, um, yeah, I'm now down this uh, investment management path, which is far more tech-related. Um, who knows if I'll get back to equity analysis or anything like that, but who knows if even if I want to. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought I'd just pass on that story. 
No, I think it's great. And and mate, uh, on kind of this similar note, before we hit the record button, you were speaking about the importance of, um, you know, if you want something, bang the door down and, and really show someone that you do want that. Do you want to just talk to, to that a little bit and how people can, I guess, differentiate themselves on paper and in person from, from everyone else that's saying they really want it? Yeah, um, I guess when I joined Six Park, I was the fourth member of the team and um, where there's now over, there's, what, there's probably 12 of us now. So I've actually had to hire a few people. And um, so I've looked at a lot of resumes and CVs and um, it's it's funny in a, in it's not funny, but like a lot of people, you know, will describe themselves as that they're, that they, they're hardworking and, you know, their character or whatever it is. Um, it's one thing to kind of be polite and go down the proper path of applying for jobs when they're advertised in the, the requisite um, websites, et cetera. But for the people that go out there and bang a door down and say, I want to get an opportunity here, um, will you talk to me? The cold call that have this hustle. That's not on a resume saying I'm a hard worker. That is that is kind of saying, look at me, this is what I'm doing. Um, if you want it, I'm ready to go. And I so I, I do think um there can be um fantastic uh opportunities from putting yourself outside of your, your comfort zone and putting yourself out there and, and um, yeah, cold calling. Well, that, that's that old adage, um, actions speak louder than words. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. one thing to put something on a piece of paper, but if you don't really go up, go after it and like, you, you may as well not even have a resume. You're probably better off honestly going and just trying to meet as many people as you can and then give them the resume after like, Maybe yeah. do it in reverse. Yeah. I once said this on a podcast and then um, about the power of, you know, you know, reaching out to people for coffees and next thing I had about <laughs> 10 people <laughs> <laughs> for coffees. <laughs> so so um, I don't want people to think that uh, if you want to join Six Park, that, you know, <laughs> be up with uh, all these these coffee invites and things like that. But um uh, oh, but we've spoken about this point um, a couple of times. It's it's all well and good to to reach out to all these people, but and we we've spoken about it actually quite recently. It's like if you're if you're going to be doing this, it needs to be with a purpose. And, and if you want to talk to someone about getting in, into a particular business, like you better know a bit about the business and have some quite specific talking points and and smart questions that you want to find out a bit more about. It's not just hey, do you want to come for coffee and then expect something magical would happen? Yeah. Um, you need to do a bit of groundwork before you get to that point. That and follow up mm. because it's, it's, um, it's one to, to get that opportunity, but to show someone that how grateful you are that they gave you their time and to follow up. Um, it's, it's old school, um, be it um, a written letter or something like that. It all, it all helps. And just to one final thing before we ask for your kind of parting wisdom, mate. Um, what now that you you said that you've been in the position of hiring people, um, as opposed to just being on the other side of the fence. What are some main things that you've you you can kind of reflect on and go, oh, I used to do this, and now I've seen people doing that, and you shouldn't do that kind of thing. Like, have you really seen something that you you um, would advise your younger self not to do or to do better? Yeah. Uh I'm not the best public speaker. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay, but um, people put. I feel like people put so much focus and attention into the resume and the CV, but they won't put the same amount of time into preparation for an interview. Mm. And if any, like all the resume will do is try and get you an an interview. The interview is where the calls made whether, you know, like you, you get a second interview or you're going to get the job, et cetera. So um, it's boring. Um, you'll feel like an idiot or no, maybe not an idiot, but you'll feel like a, a goose. But like, look, stand in front of the mirror and rehearse answers. 
you got to pitch yourself. Uh, you know, sometimes sales has a bit of a, uh, sales has a bit of a, like a people cringe when they hear it. But when you are interviewing, whether you think you're in sales or not, you're in sales, you are selling yourself. And if you're going to mumble your way through about why you should be hired, but well, you're wasting your time. You're wasting their time because um, someone wants confidence that they're going to pick you and it's not going to come back um, to bite them in the ass that they've made the wrong call and that you're going to bring something to the team. So you better believe in yourself that you can do that and you've got to demonstrate that in the way you speak. Um, so, On that, Ted, what, what advice would you have for students to really to get themselves into that frame of mind to be able to really sell themselves in an interview? Uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to learn and prepare for something if, you've, if, you, don't, if you haven't had much experience in this. Mm. Um, so I'd reach out to people, be it a role model, a mentor, a family friend, that can give you a level of clarity as to kind of what people may ask in an interview process, what it looks like. Um, and I encourage people to kind of uh, possibly record themselves doing it because um, you may see just pick up on little things. It won't be... Um, these huge, obvious red flags. It, it'll be it'll be the the little soft skills. We go well. I reckon I can just nail that a bit better. Um, that I reckon um, can help you. Yeah. It, it, well, it all counts. You've got half an hour, an hour, and that could shape the next three, four, five, ten years of your life. Exactly. If you look at it from a career perspective. So it, it makes sense to invest a little bit of time in that. You 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 you're right. And like I think you use the word. Um, an hour or whatever, but the reality is first impressions last. Mm. So you got to get in there um, and provide a great first impression. Scott Galloway, um, who I, I love many of your listeners um, may be aware of uh, in NYU professor and the host of the podcast pivot. He talks about wanting to finish interviews off on a high point and things like that instead of um, so trying to, you know, bring a bit of energy to the end of a meeting too. So um, once again, this is not a life skill that will be relevant for um, people that are moving from university into the workforce for a year or two. This is something that if you can, if you can work on this, this will hold you in good stead for 40 years. Oh, and I think it's it's relevant for any conversation, right? Like not not just your job interview. It could be, you know, you never know when you're going to meet someone that could have a really good influence on your life, and that might be down the pub or in the in the work office or whatever. And if you're able to, you know, tell them what you're interested in and and what you love and and what you're about in a positive and and confident way, um, then that's only going to be a good thing. But you can only get there by practicing. So yeah. I think it's great advice. Um, all right, mate. Well, before we wrap up, is there any parting words of wisdom that you would want to leave uh, the younger generation coming through? Uh, um, yeah, I, I made a couple of notes as to kind of if, if what, I, what I wanted to kind of um, pass on and what I've learned in my um, short period of time. By no means do I think I, I know it all, but over my time in, at footy, I learned of the, the benefits of hard work discipline and resilience. Um, uh, I also touched on this about the satisfaction you can get from doing something hard. And so for listeners that are making the sacrifices right now, uh, um, burning the candle at both ends, you know, to, to be able to finish their degree off and um, um, keep going because you're going to be very proud of yourself at some point in the future that you um, you kept going. Um, I think it's 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 good to have a plan, but but to be open to opportunities, especially with how disruption and and change this level of change that we're seeing play out through COVID. Um, who knows what um, you know what life will look like professionally over the next. Um, decade or so, um, 
continue to develop yourself. It, I I was I fell victim to this to to think that if I can just get my master, uh, just get my bachelor of commerce, or if I can just get my masters, I've done enough to um for for my own tertiary development. But development is something that you really don't want to switch off. I, I end up doing a um, a course in behavioral economics at Harvard Business School um, two years ago, and it was one of the best things ever because it just made me raise the bar of what I expect from myself. And, and I also walked away from that course going, I'm putting a high importance on doing personal development, things like this all the, all the time. Um, the importance of reading, um, reading or, or listening to podcasts too, but I'm currently reading a book right now, How You Will Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. I'm Love ab- Clayton Christensen. I, I am absolutely loving this book. Because, <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah, and um, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's very relevant to what we're talking about right now because it is about um, so many people will look at um, a salary, potential salary to determine um, – which path they want to go down in life. And, you know, if, you, if you're not going to draw the satisfaction from that, you'll be a pretty miserable person. And Mate, that's what six parks for, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and um, so I, th- I think, um, yeah, the, the importance of reading and, and podcasts uh, to what that can do for your development. So if for people that are listening in, I'm, pr- I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted because um People are, are already deciding to listen to this over Joe Rogan, uh, you know, or, 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 you know, or um, I don't know, or, or something else. So, but um, I think I think that they'd be the the life lessons which which I've I've learned over the course of of my career, um, which I pass on. And uh, but I also want to qualify to say that um, I'm. I'm aware that there's a lot that I don't know. Um, so um, uh, I'm, I'm still working away at these two. Oh, Ted, I, th- I think everything you've said is bang on. And I, I love that you're, you're so open-minded to say that, look, this is my view, but it doesn't mean it's the right view and that, that I'm still learning too. And I think that really goes to your point that you never stop learning and you never stop your development and you really do need to stay hungry to, to stay in the game because otherwise you will get left behind. So just want to say thanks for coming on the show, mate. It's been been awesome to chat with you. Yeah, thanks very much. So um, you guys are, are doing a, a great podcast here. If uh, anyone gets an itch to listen to another podcast, uh, there's a great one, The Richards Report. Jump over to that. Um, but, um, yeah, keep up the good work, guys. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you.